Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 578th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Rebel News Network. But as always, this show will be dedicated to the game in the United States. And as we get ready to celebrate a brand new year of Major League Soccer. There are other things we have to be happy about that were just announced today from the offices of the CONCACAF Confederation, uh, from Victor Montagliani, who was once again uh, re-elected as president of the Confederation. Congratulations to him. He has done a uh, a magical job, a wonderful job, of improving this confederation, improving in tournaments, improving in the level of play on the international stage and at the same time for the international club stage. So we should be happy and we should be excited for what is going to happen in CONCACAF for this year and the several years down the road and going to be out there for our national teams, of course, we all know about the partnership with CONMEBOL, the South American Confederation, for the Copa America to be here in the 2024 summer. And that, going along with apparently the new ecosystem that will be around, that will go from this summer all the way to the FIFA World Cup in 2026. We have now, from CONCACAF, multiple tournaments and multiple dates that will help not just the top teams in this confederation, but for those teams that have not had enough time to play in meaningful matches on the international stage because that is the most important thing to grow this confederation meaningful matches for those nations in the lower levels and if it's not enough hopefully it will be but if it's not enough well they have to find a way to get things going to play meaningful games and of course playing in friendlies to improve their efforts and to improve the future of their confederations, and excuse me, of their FAs to get bigger and to get better. We all know that the majority of this confederation is mostly in the Caribbean zone. Hopefully this will give them more time to improve their play and to give those particular footballers the amount of time not just to be in their clubs, whether it's home or abroad, 
but for international competition as well. And my goodness, apparently this ecosystem for the senior national teams in this region, for the, it's just been unbelievable. We are going to finish up group stage play around the end of March for this current edition of the CONCACAF Nations League. And then, of course, in June will be the semifinals and the final for this upcoming edition. And let's not forget qualifiers for the Gold Cup because these Nations League games do count as qualifiers for the up-and-coming Gold Cup this coming June 16th through July 16th. Meaning whoever gets those positions at the end of this edition, at end of March, will go to the, directly to the Gold Cup and those spots available for qualification to this upcoming Gold Cup. And further down the road, we will have again another round of Nations League at the back end of 2023. The finals will be in 2024. This time, though, a caveat. There will be more teams added in League A for this next up-and-coming Nations League. And that means for those teams to qualify into League A, the opportunity to go and qualify for the 2024 Copa America. All 10 South American clubs will be joined by six qualified CONCACAF clubs. And there's now a tweak in League A as well. It will be two groups of six playing each other in a group stage. But when the rankings for CONCACAF come out in March of next of this year, this coming March, for those rankings for the next edition of the CONCACAF Nations League that will start in September, the top four ranked national teams will automatically go to the quarterfinals. A quarterfinal round has now been added for the CONCACAF Nations League. And that means if the United States and Mexico, normally they should be ranked first and second, respectively, they will automatically go into the quarterfinal round with the next two positions in third and fourth ranked will be joining them. So the re whoever is in League A, Mexico and the United States will not be involved in group play anymore in those representative leagues. They will still be in League A, but just not through group stage play. And you know what? If you're U.S. and Mexico, you say to yourself, that is an excellent job. That is an excellent job of having what is going on with CONCACAF they're doing with their new situations it is absolutely fantastic to see that 
And then, of course, once again, another Nations League run in 24-25 that will go into the 2025 Gold Cup. And they have also just announced brand new World Cup qualification setup for the 2026 World Cup. Unbelievable what we are seeing here right now through CONCACAF. Fantastic stuff we are seeing with CONCACAF as we speak. It is without a doubt, without a doubt, wonderful moments coming through in this confederation Wonderful moments coming through to see the future of this confederation in international team competition. What they're going to do for World Cup qualifying, very simple. When rankings will come out for World Cup qualifying down the road, in 2024, there will be a goal aggregate first round playoff for the last four ranked sides facing each other in the opening round. And then those round one winners will join the rest of the field in the second round, six groups of five. The top two in each group will advance to the final round for another draw, three groups of four. The top three in each group, will advance to the World Cup. And the best two second-place finishers out of the three will also advance into the Intercontinental Playoff against either an Asian qualifier, a South American qualifier, or an Oceania qualifier. CONCACAF is being given between six to eight spots, the U.S., Mexico, and Canada already ahead in it as host nations, the next three through the qualification zone, and then the final two must secure those spots through the intercontinental playoff. CONCACAF, ladies and gentlemen, is starting to get better. Still needs more work. We all know, once again, that this confederation must continue to improve themselves. They must continue to improve themselves and be better, to be stronger. But I think at this point in time, it's an excellent start. It is an excellent start to see what will happen down the road in these many, many years to come till we get to the FIFA World Cup in 2026. But until then, I think this is a great start. Montagliani has done an excellent job planning, creating fantastic competition within this confederation and hopefully more wonderful moments will happen here in CONCACAF. But until then, excellent job to start off these next 
rounds of international international team competitions in this end of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got a great show for you tonight. As we get ready, some information about Rochester, New York FC from the Gus Lopez uh, from Territorio MLS. But joining me right now, my good friend Robert Hay of World Soccer Talk as we talk about the opening weekend of Apple TV's broadcasts of Major League Soccer. Robert, welcome back. How are you, my friend? It's been too long. Daniel, it's great. Thank you for having me back. It's good to talk to you, and I'm I'm glad, you know, kicking off the show talking about CONCACAF and, you know, the positives there. I agree with you. Lots of good news out of the Confederation and uh, certainly leading up to some really exciting soccer uh, prior to what's going to be a great World Cup, I think. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I got to say this, Robert, uh, what Victor Montagliani has done uh, taking over this confederation after the disgraced Jeffrey Webb, who, of course, got uh, sent to the uh, Swiss Huskow uh, after his involvement with, the, uh, with those uh, scandalous moments from FIFA through Sepp Blatter. Uh, thankfully, it looks like we're finally heading into the right direction uh, competition-wise. Uh, with CONCACAF. So uh, it, it's a wonderful thing to see. But, you know, as we move forward here with this brand new era of Major League Soccer broadcasts of the matches in the opening week, uh, the opening weekend, I should say, uh, of, of this brand new season, what did you make of the matches being played? Obviously, you were paying attention to DC United uh, first match of you know, the full year of Wayne Rooney managing this club. But besides that, what did you make of the opening weekend, the broadcasts, and, of course, if you did get a chance to take a look at the MLS 360 Whip Around show? So I actually ended up not getting to watch as much on Saturday night as I had hoped because I ended up attending D.C. United's home opener um, so I missed out on the major, like the, the bulk of the Saturday in action, which is I think where um, MLS and Apple TV was putting most of. I was thinking that they were going to have a lot of the uh, the eyeballs on some of the new, you know, things that they were going to try out. But that being said, you know, I did watch uh, a number of of the free weekend offerings. I should begin by saying I'm not a subscriber to uh, MLS uh, the MLS package on Apple Plus. Um, I've made my soccer financial decisions, and they tend to be more in the Italian. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I've already got my Serie B subscription, so I can't uh, – my soccer money spent. But I did take full advantage of, you know, the full weekend uh, – the full free weekend this weekend because um, I think that was a great idea by the league and Apple to, to kind of show off the product. You know, overall reflections from um, – what I saw, it reminded me of when Apple started doing baseball broadcasts uh, earlier, you know, this last baseball season. Um, very slick product, what you would expect from an Apple product. Uh, you know, great graphics. Everything looked good uh, in terms of, of um, visuals and in terms of modern look. Uh, I watched via my Roku device. Um, so I know a lot of people will probably ended up watching it on their mobile devices, Uh from the Roku um, angle, it looked really good. It was very easy to find, easy to navigate. Um, and I think, you know, if we're going to start with overall reflections, um, there was a lot to like about the style and the visuals. Um, 
in terms of the content, uh, it was a little scattershot, which is, I think, what I expected. You know, there's going to be some growing pains in terms of finding its its voice. And I think, you know, starting off with um, on Saturday with um, Nashville and New York City FC, um, you know, you had a pregame show that was kind of uh, a little bit uh, all over the place. Uh, when you got into the broadcast, it was better um, and a little bit more traditional, uh, which you'd expect to hear from a soccer broadcast. And then um, going back after Saturday night and watching some of the replays, um, overall the quality was good. Um, I have some quibbles with the editing decisions, which were uh, annoying. There were some annoyances there. But, I mean, overall I think good weekend for the product. I know there was some some match cancellations, which kind of impact the, the probably the, the numbers overall. Um, but overall, a pretty good debut for the service and a, a good weekend for MLS to kick off this season. I think, and I do agree with you, I think we all understand that there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. Obviously, you're not going to have a finished product after one single night of games being broadcasted at the same time, the whole 360 whip-around show that they had. But, you know, seeing Kalen Kyle seeing Bradley Wright Phillips, Sasha Kleistian, uh, you know, kicking it off uh, on the English side of things, including, which I was very surprised, uh, Liam McHugh being a part of this. I never, I mean, obviously he was a part of NBC's uh, NHL coverage, occasionally filled in for Rebecca Lowe during the Premier League coverage. I did not think he was a soccer fan at all. I did not even know he played soccer until, you know, reading his bios, that, that he he was a soccer fan, that he did play uh, soccer in college. Uh, I, mean, I mean, he's not a bad guy. I, I enjoy him doing coverage for the on the NHL through TNT now and NBC in the past, but um, I, I thought they were okay, and like you, and I agree with you. It's going to be a lot of bumps and bruises along the way, the first maybe the first day, maybe the first couple of weeks. But other than that, I think what we are seeing is a solid start to what MLS has probably envisioned ever since the whole Apple TV deal was struck over in the middle of the, of the middle of last year. Yeah, and I think, you know, to, to touch on Liam McHugh for a moment, um, yeah, people who are, are, like you and I are, NHL fans, uh, know him from his NHL coverage. And um, if you're a Notre Dame football fan on NBC, he did some Notre Dame football as well, as, as well as, I think, some Olympic stuff. So he's a, a known commodity. But it was a pleasant surprise to see him uh, on the, you know, or maybe not a pleasant surprise, I shouldn't put it that way, but it was great to see him do kick off the coverage on Saturday. He, uh, I think he did a, a good job um, overall. But, you know, I think really what the um, – and this is, you know, something we expect to give them needed a little bit of time is to really find the voice of what this, um, what this service is going to be. And I'm not just, you know, not just necessarily, you know, the the kickoff shows or the 360 or even the broadcast themselves. You know, it's almost finding their niche in the soccer world in terms of voice. Um, you know, it's it's it, this service. It's kind of an odd service in the sense that um, MLS obviously wants to appeal to a wide audience. Um, you know, they want soccer fans, they want casual fans, they want fans of spectacle and so forth. But, you know, the way that the service is lined up where it's a separate fee, but it's, you know, available to um, season ticket holders for the clubs means that, you know, you're going to get a lot of diehards, you know, some true MLS fans subscribing. But on the other hand, you know, you have deals with T-Mobile and so forth, which means casual fans can access it. And so 
you know, what's the voice that this this kind of that this service is going to be? Is it for you know the hardcore fans, or is it going to be for casual fans to try and draw them in? And we saw a little bit of both, you know, throughout the coverage um, throughout the weekend. You know, just going back to the kickoff, um, you know, the the conversation started about fashion, started talking about the the Johnny Cash uniforms for Nashville. Then they t- sprinkled in some tactics um, and talked a little bit about the lineups, and then kicked it over to the broadcasters who did more traditional stuff. So. Um, you know, I think looking back on the other services and their, you know, their competitors, um, you know, I think TNT um, back when they had the um, the Champions League got criticized for being too casual and too uh, trying to be hip and appeal to, um, I don't know, a more social media driven audience. Um, that did not seem to work. You have, you know, Paramount Plus now, which adopted some of that, but also, you know, drives a lot of really good um, analysis and focuses on analysis uh, and let the, the personalities talk for themselves. So I think MLS is, and, and Apple is going to try and, and weave their way through finding what their unique voice is. And I, you know, I will say going back to, to baseball, because this is, um, hey, while well, this is a soccer show, I mean, this is the best comp we have for, you know, an Apple type service like this. Um, they tried to stake out kind of a unique voice. They brought in, um, you know, a majority, majority female crews for their baseball coverage, and they brought in some non-traditional voices to really talk about the game and what was going on during the game. And so, I, you know, while a lot of the names that we have for talent are established, there's a, a number of names that um, are new probably to a majority of, of the, the viewers uh, and even to some soccer fans. And so uh, I think we're going to try and see some um, – we're going to try and see MLS and Apple let these – let the talent try and find its way. I mean, they've got this deal for 10 years, so they've got time. But let, we're going to see a lot of people trying to find their way and trying to find their niche. And I would expect that this is going to take some time. Probably by the end of the season, we'll, we'll have some sense of, like, what to expect and what kind of information and content to expect. We're still going to get a mix of it. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to know these personalities a little bit better. Um, last point I'll make on this real quick is I remember um, – the first time I watched ESPN FC um, when they first launched uh, that show. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I felt it was too stale and no life and, you know, too forced and, you know, the interactions and so forth. Um, Obviously now that's rounded into a really good show uh, because the talent really clicks with each other. And so I will, I expect we'll see a lot of that with um, this service because they do have a lot of great talent on there. And we may have to see some changes. We'll probably see some people being swapped in and out of different roles. But overall, you know, the the product shows that there's something there. Um, it's just going to take some time to really round into form. I agree with you. Um, it's going to take some time. Um, of course, I was watching the Red Bulls uh, on the road opening up in Orlando against Orlando City. I had uh, Andreas Cordero and Jamie Watson. And for those of you that are not familiar with those voices, Andreas Cordero not only is the former TV voice of Inter Miami when they came into the league, he's also the voice of Serie A for the Paramount Plus slash CBS Sports coverage. And, of course, Jamie Watson is the former analyst for Nashville SC, uh, who used to be paired with Tony Husband, who will be doing the Red Bull game at home against Nashville this upcoming weekend. I have the uh, announcer assignments from the league. Uh, He'll be with uh, former Portland Timbers television analyst Roth Smith. And uh, for D.C. United, um, if I 
guess DC is, yep, they'll be on the road against uh, the Columbus crew, and that will have uh, former Charlotte FC announcer, announcing team, Eric Krakauer and Lloyd Sam. When you were watching Nashville and um, NYCFC, Robert, like you said, you took a, took a look at that. Who was that announcing that group, and what did you think about them being paired together? Uh, if I remember correctly, it was Keith Costigan and was it Moadu? I believe was the former player. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, no, I mean I think so. You know, obviously with this that game being like the the kickoff to the you know to the to the day, no pun intended. Um, you're going to have a more veteran crew, and both those guys have a lot of experience doing games. Um, and I think the 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 chemistry was good overall. Um, I mean, you've got two two guys who really know the game very well. They know MLS well they know american soccer very well and so they could speak to a wide variety of topics they could speak to the fact that nashville is a um you know great sports city although i think at one point you know modu said yeah i've never played here so i you know this is you know a new experience for me or one one of them said you know i've never seen a game here or something like that um which is kind of odd but um but you know they were able to, to talk tactics both of those clubs have some major changes in the off season that have some, leave some question marks. And so they were able to weave that into kind of the pregame uh, or pre-match analysis. And then during the match, you, it's what you'd expect from a, um, it was comforting to hear kind of like what you'd expect from an MLS match, a lot of confidence and a lot of, of, of smarts about the game itself, um, you know, with, with a little bit of, of um, pop culture thrown in. So, um, you know, overall good, good stuff. I think, you know, to, to real quickly talk about, I think one of the challenges their MLS is going to have with these pairings, um, for, at least from a parochial standpoint or from a, um, a local standpoint, I should say, and other clubs may be doing this. I'm just not sure. Um, DC United announced that their radio broadcast is going to be done by Dave Johnson. Um, so they have a deal now with iHeartRadio. And when I was um, watching the highlights on YouTube, I went back and watched a match replay and then caught some highlights because it was a, quite the game. Um, all of the highlights were done by Dave Johnson. So they, they use the Dave Johnson radio feed rather than the MLS feed. And so if other – I don't know what other teams are doing in that space, but that's something to watch is if there's concerns or struggles by some of these announcers, are other clubs going to be using local radio broadcasts or whatever to serve as the voice of the teams? And how does that work with how um, MLS and Apple are setting up their kind of rotating regional crews? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know – I mean, look, if you've watched the Premier League, whether it be on NBC or in the past from Fox Sports or through ESPN, I mean, you you know for a fact that they're always going to have rotating broadcast groups, uh, broadcast teams up and down the country, no matter where you go. Probably the same thing goes on uh, for the local broadcasts, whether it's Serie A in Italy or, um, you know, the German Bundesliga. Uh, La Liga in Spain, and even in the National Football League with CBS and uh, Fox, they have rotating broadcast crews that go all over the country to handle their jobs to broadcast those specific uh, games. So I think, first of all, I'm happy that Dave Johnson is getting to do DC United on the radio. That I'm happy for him and I'm happy for you because, you know, that's the one thing – I was hoping would happen for him once the broadcast uh, situation changed to this. But um, I I think, you know, this is what's going to be for the next 10 years. And if this is successful enough, it could be forever. You never know. 
Yeah, and you know, I'll, I'll say generally, you know, MLS when they approached this, they needed to do something different. I mean, um, the, the other other leagues have done, you know, kind of the deals with the ESPNs and the Paramounts and you know other you know groups um, to kind of uh, to be a product. Uh, and even the Premier League itself, I mean, it is a premier product on NBC and Peacock, but it is, you know, a product amongst products. Um, MLS took a little bit of – is taking a little bit of a gamble where they're saying we're going to, you know, go with one service. Like, we are going to be the launch. I mean, I know they've done baseball and some other stuff on the side, but, like, we are going to be the league for this service. And um, there's some definite risk there. So I give them a lot of credit for saying we're going to go all in on this type of streaming broadcast, and if it works, um, it's going to pay off, I think, very well for the league. I mean, it gives them a partner. It gives them um, consistency on games and so forth that they never really had. The problem is, is you know, again, like we've talked about a lot, it's the price and it's the accessibility. Um, so if you can convince people to either sign up for a service that, or, you know, buy a product that gives you the service for free or, um, you know, uh, to get them to pay the price or to buy season tickets, um, you know, that, then all will be well. But I think it's figuring out that business model because, um, like I said, folks like myself are going to struggle to justify that amongst all of the other subscri- streaming services that we're being asked to, to consider. And for someone whose, you know, favorite soccer club is, like I said, Serie B, Serie B in Italy, um, that's $50 towards hell biz right there that's not going towards MLS. So it'll be interesting to see how the business model shakes out. But I give them a lot of credit for this experiment from the start. Exactly. And I agree with you there, Robert, because uh, I think we both understand that, you know, look, streaming services, this is the future. And, uh, you know, MLS went all in with the Apple TV service. And, I mean, we can definitely say this. We can definitely say that, you know, for some people, you know, they still believe in linear television. Uh, Some people don't want to be rushed into it. But unfortunately... This is the wave of the future, and we just got to move on with the future, I guess. That's what's in front of us right now. I agree. I mean, I think there's still a place uh, for linear TV, but yeah, absolutely. mm -hmm. No, I agree with you. I think there's still a place for linear TV, and hopefully hopefully, uh, things will be straightened out, and uh, we can uh, move forward and, you know, stay on course with what's been going on. But listen, Robert – uh, thank you for your time as always. I really do appreciate it every time you get the opportunity to come on the show to get your thoughts. And I'll talk to you again soon. And uh, have a good night. And thanks again. Thank you. Always appreciate it. Always. Robert Hay, World Soccer Talk. As we wrap up and discuss what's been going on uh, with the MLS Apple MLS Apple TV deal, excuse me, as we get ready for more content. As we've already said, as we have already said, uh, there's going to be some bumps and bruises into the uh, into this whole situation with the MLS 360. Not on level what they're doing with MLS and Apple, but when I started doing those U.S. Open Cup whip-around shows through Rabble many, many years ago, trust me, trust me, I had to get used to that situation as well. 
So I had some bugs to work out myself, but I was able to get through it, and everything went very smoothly further down the road. And now, ladies and gentlemen, my next guest for tonight, uh, he covers uh, MLS uh, through Brazilian uh, online publication, Territorio MLS. This is Gustavo Lopez, as he has been following the Rochester, New York FC situation, and he's going to provide us some uh, updates as well as what's been going on ever since the situation began uh, back this past January of threats of them closing down shop. But it sounds like things are becoming a lot clearer and a lot better. Gustavo, thank you for your time and welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for the invite, my friend. It's a pleasure to be here. I heard a lot about you throughout my friend uh, Gustavo Guimarães, who covers the Red Bull. Uh, and it's a pleasure to be here, man. It's all true. <laughs> Good to know. Well, first of all, thank you for taking thank you thank you for taking the invitation. And um, if if we can ask you this, you know, we we are aware that even though they're now called Rochester New York FC, this has been the Rochester Rhinos, a historical lower league club in American soccer. Uh, obviously, uh, they've had their issues in the past couple of years. The Dworkins took over. They were trying to keep the club afloat. Uh, they had investments from uh, current Leicester City striker Jamie Vardy. And in, in the most recent months, there's been turmoil. Supporters of that club who are still there wondering what was going on. From that point on, what have you learned that has been coming through, and what updates can you provide to us of possibly new ownership of that club? Uh, so basically, uh, I, I love the, the Mustang Pro. I love the lower league, so I, I like to follow those teams. I mainly covered the New England Revolution up here in, in New England, but I like to cover those teams. And in fact, I started noticing that something very weird was going on with Rochester because their social media was being awfully quiet. And then I ended up learning that the team almost went, I don't know if bankrupt is the right word, but I went, but almost went out of business during the off season because of the lack of investments of the working family and also part of uh, Jamie Vardy. And what I learned was that the Dworkins are working their way of selling the team and founding a new investor, which they actually found, an Italian investor. Uh, I couldn't find a name, but apparently there is a closed deal. That's why I published yesterday. There is a closed deal already. They're working through the paperwork, and it should be announced any time now. That is absolutely fantastic. Uh, look, Rochester to me is always one of those uh, – up, uh, upstate cities in New York State that has had great history, uh, fantastic support. Obviously, it's been dwindling in these past couple of years uh, throughout the history of that club. And But to find out, why was Jamie Vardy absent involving his stake with the Dworkins when they were at the moment the owners of the club? Uh, so uh, the Jamie Vardy situation is, is kind of incredible from a media standpoint because I've been told 
that he left the club last year. I cannot confirm, but I heard, that's why I've been told, that he does not have any ties with the club since last year, but that was not published. I don't know why. Uh, some people say that he never had anything on a sign on a paper with the club. He was never the owner of the club, but I also cannot confirm. But from what I've been hearing, and I cannot confirm, but that's what I've been hearing, is that uh, he since last year, he has not been involved with the club. He has no uh, power inside the club, and he clearly doesn't want to know about the club. That's what I've been hearing. Uh, and I've been also been told that he's still an owner, but so it's so confusing. But most of my sources say that he left the club last year and hasn't been told anybody, including the fans. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, I understand he's still playing for Leicester, but I mean, if you take an ownership of being a part of an investment group, or at least being a part owner with the original owners, or at least, shall we say, those owners at the time, to be a part of something, you would like to think that uh, he would make good on his investments and, you know, being fully supporting this club financially, especially a club that's been like this in Rochester, New York, for such a long period of time. Um, Obviously, as we've been seeing the reports, you've been making the reports, it sounds like that the Dworkins will no longer be involved uh, with the uh, Rochester club. Can you confirm that or no? Yes, that's that's my report. They're, They're making their way of leaving the club, yes. Wow. Uh, Look, I mean, I give them credit for trying to keep that club afloat as much as they could. And unfortunately for them, they just had to go and uh, sell it. But look, I think... What what it seems to me, it's just an opinion, that's not information, that they put the club on MLSX Pro because of Vardy. And since he left, they don't have no longer the desire of keeping working with the team to the way, especially because... MLSX Pro is a non-possible league. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So, obviously, with this new, brand-new Italian owner, obviously, as you've said, that uh, you don't know who the gentleman is, but um, hopefully we'll have you back on to discuss that. But if I can ask you this, have you heard plans of them to remain in MLS Next Pro, or do you feel they're going to make the jump back into the second division or at least a better third division league here in the U.S.? Uh, the plan right now, and that's what information, is to stay on MLS Next Pro for at least uh, this year. Uh, that's the plan. They Right now, they have about five players in the roster, and they don't have a head coach, but they have a general manager. And from what I'm hearing, they're about to announce a new head coach, an English guy, that I also couldn't find names on it, but when it seems that they're very close to announce a new head coach, they're going to try to, quick as possible, sign uh, this this head coach and try to make a squad for the U.S. Open Cup match they have next month and also the MLS Next Pro, which hasn't released the schedule yet because of Rochester, but they're still planning on competing on it. That is amazing. That is great to hear. And, you know, I have to tell you, um, thank goodness for that because, as we all know, the U.S. Open Cup second round will be beginning of April. Uh, They are scheduled to take on the Pittsburgh Riverhounds in the second round. And that would have been a shame if uh, 
this whole situation would have fallen apart the way that it did. What have you heard from supporters? I know you have a lot of people in the Rochester area following you. You've kept abreast of all the situation that's been going on with this club. What have you heard from those supporters who are following you through social media, through Twitter, uh, happy about your reporting about what is going on with this Rochester team? I mean, I'm in the Boston area, so I'm far away from Rochester, and, and, and I like their feedback because, I can have, like, some sense of what's going on between the fans and the club. And the most feedback I heard was all about the club doesn't say anything. They're very worried about how the club didn't post anything since December, how the club wasn't talking to them, how the, the ownership wasn't talking to them, what's the situation with Jamie Vardy, because uh, a lot of people have their hopes on a Rochester, and they haven't heard back from them. So that's probably the main feedback. And yesterday, after I did my, my, my post on Twitter, I, I heard a lot of people from Rochester texting me, asking me about a possible rumor that this Italian investor, uh, investor was a guy from Brooklyn, New York, and had plans to move the team to New York. So there a lot of people asking me if that was true. I think that's a rumor that's happening in Rochester, but I have no information about it. Wow. Well, hopefully that uh, that club will not be moved to Brooklyn. Not saying... Uh, uh, I don't want Brooklyn to have a club. If they do, so be it. But hopefully it's not the Rochester club and let them stay up there because those fans have been so loyal and so diehard for the game, especially up there that they've had, of course, many iterations, especially the original NASL club in the Rochester Lancers, the indoor club, NPSL club, and hopefully this uh, they'll be moving up to the higher levels uh, and getting out of MLS Pro next after this season uh, does happen with them going around. Um, how long have you been in Boston? And obviously, I'm assuming you're mostly looking at uh, the Revolution and other clubs in the New England area? Uh, yeah, I've been in Boston for five years. I came from Brazil to here to Boston, and now I work for Nosa Radio USA, which is a Brazilian radio partner with the Reds games on uh, 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 every single game, home and away. So that's the thing I do. And I also write for Territory MLS where I cover all the teams in New England. I cover a bunch of teams in MLS, MLS Next Pro. Uh, I have a very good relationship with the Red Bull reporters, especially Gustavo, of course, which is a huge fan of mine. And uh, So that's pretty much it. Well, you've got yourself a pretty good guy there in Gustavo Gamera's. He's really a good guy. Glad he's one of my colleagues. Uh, hope to call you a colleague as well. And uh, so, uh, t- tell me, in, since you know, can you can compare with the football between Brazil and uh, here in MLS? You see any similarities or tons of differences? I think it's just tons of difference. Uh, what I like about MLS is that. MLS has a ready product to, to sell. Uh, you guys have good stadiums. You guys have a, now. You guys have a nice TV deal. You guys have a nice attendance average, which I think is very cool. And, and in general, I think the, the league, the MLS, is a lot better sell to the public than Brazilian league is. But on the other side, we have the better teams uh, outside of Europe, like Flamengo uh, and Palmeiras, who are the two best teams in the continent. That if an MLS team like if if LAFC goes to play Flamengo Palmeiras, I think it would be a disaster for MLS. I think it would be embarrassing. But I think the product that MLS sells is very good, and that's why I like it.
And let's not forget, of course, some of these other great clubs. I mean, there's Santos, uh, Club Atletico Mininaro. Um, I believe there's also Fluminense and um, yeah. Grimero and so many other uh, brilliant clubs over in Brazil. I mean, you mean, you know, that, that Libertadores tournament is probably the biggest, uh, strong, one of the strongest international club tournaments in South America to face off against all these other great South American sides up and down the continent, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is. And, but I think MLS is getting, getting, getting very close to the, the South American teams. I think soon as they figure out pro, uh, promotion, relegation, and they ended up the playoffs, and just raise the salary cap a little bit, I think MLS is going to go over Brazil easily, and I have no doubts on that. Absolutely, and I absolutely agree with you about that. I mean, if they can fix those situations a little bit more, tweak it as much as possible, I think that would definitely enhance uh, the game here in this country, and we would definitely have what everyone else does around the world. Yeah. I want to ask you this, and I haven't had a chance to ask um, – my colleague uh, Gustavo about this, but with the brand new partnership involving both CONCACAF and CONMEBOL, especially with the Copa America coming here in 2024, ever since Ecuador relinquished the hosting rights, what do you think of the new partnership between the two confederations? And maybe hopefully we have an Inter-America Cup returning that could, uh, you know, help out the club side of things between both our confederations. So, on the national team level, I think it's a great deal. I think there's only good consequences coming from that, having Brazil and Argentina playing against more diverse teams, which I think is something they lack, on, uh, especially on Copa America. They're always facing the same teams, and no, none of those teams can usually be Brazil and Argentina, so it's usually a two-team comp, which I think is still going to happen, but the chances of upsets are a lot higher now. Uh, but on the club side of things, I still don't think the the common ball teams are getting any advantage on that. Uh, it's uh, usually long travels. It's going to be a long travel in case they play each other. Uh, Money-wise, it's good. But soccer-wise, I think most of the teams in CONCACAF are still very below the common ball level. That's not going to have any advantage for them to go play and take that as an experiment. Because, like I said again, uh, if Flamengo Palmeiras face... 9% of the MLS teams, it's going to be, like, not going to be a fair game, but in some cases, they're going to face, like, Club America, or they're going to face Tigers, and then they're going to have some competition, but, I mean, I don't think still is on a good level. I think they could set up a championship, uh, some kind of tournament for fun, but I don't think that the South American teams should take that seriously, but on the national team side of things, I think it's a great deal, and I love to see Copa America being played here, being played with more teams, seeing the U.S. facing Brazil, seeing the U.S. facing Argentina more often, and and I think that's good. Let me ask you this, and and I've been floating this around a little bit, um, because obviously Copa America is once every four years. CONCACAF has the Gold Cup once every two years. But would you say... And I'm only, this is like, this is just my idea, of course, and if you want it, it's yours. I don't care. I can share it. Would you say maybe to have a standalone Copa America, just CONMEBOL, we'll have our standalone Gold Cup uh, here in CONCACAF, and then for that second year, we would have the setup 
the way that we had the Centenario and this upcoming Copa America to be a part of the Americas, say, uh, in the, at the next two years? Would you, accept, would, you, would you like to see that happen? Or do you think this is going to happen uh, at the end of uh, 2024? Uh, so that's the thing I usually tell. Uh, with a South American perspective, uh, and also looking the game as more global, I think the Americans still give a lot of importance to national team games, and that's why you guys are so obsessed with the national team. Uh, from my view, my, my point of view as a Brazilian, I want less national team games as possible. Soccer for me is about the club mm-hmm. and not the national team. So if I could see one Cup of America every four years, and that's it, if I can only see... Uh, I want to go to Copa, maybe like if the, the since now they're going to have it together, they have to do it one time in four years, and there's no more Gold Cups, no more national, uh, what's the name? National League, National League, is that how it's called? No, I want none of that. Mm-hmm. I want one Copa America every four years, one World Cup every four years, and for me that's good enough for national team games. Okay. And my final question to you is this, because I'm going to stick, I want to keep it with the um, with the thing here. Many Americans have said that the Americas should unite into one confederation. And that would also mean for World Cup qualifying as well. Would you agree with that or do you disagree with that? Confederation should be good. But I don't know, the content's so big. It's kind of confusing, but I think if I have to say yes or no right now, I'll go with yes, but definitely not playing the same competitions at the same time. I, I, for example, That's interesting. I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally against Mexico and U.S. teams playing Copa Libertadores. I'm totally against. I understand. I completely understand where you're coming from, because, I mean, let's be honest. You know, that should be only for clubs that are in South America, within Conmebol. I completely understand. Would would you say the same thing about Sudamericana, or do you think MLS teams should be in Sudamericana? I think for the same reason. Not that I don't want the teams playing Copa America or, or playing Copa Libertadores or Copa Sudamerica, but like for example, my team, Flamengo, I don't want to see the team come no. here to New England to play a game and then have to go back to Brazil to play on Sunday again. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's good sports wise. So I don't, I don't mm. want to see that happen, you know? Same with Copa Sudamerica. I completely understand. No, I completely understand where you're coming from because uh, my feeling is that uh, we, you know, CONCACAF should try to improve uh, within their own confederation. I mean, it's nice to have this uh, partnership with Comibol, but I completely agree with you. I think that the CONCACAF has to find ways to make their Champions League better uh, make the Gold Cup better, and they've been doing so so well so far. But I think I I, I definitely agree with you. I I, I think uh, we got to keep our confederations uh, uh, club tournaments separate that's, all the time. That's, uh, Gustav- that, that's why I think, Gustavo. Uh, I want to say thank you for your time. Oh, that's why I oh think yeah, Inter- I agree. Inter America would be very good. Yes. No, absolutely. Inter-America would definitely be a great cup competition to come back and bring back and maybe do a little bit better with it, and it would help up and down the Americas uh, without a doubt. But Gustavo, 
thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. I hope to talk to you again soon and bring you back on, and we can talk about the revolution as well. Thank you again for your time, sir. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. People know where to find me, and as soon as I have more Rochester news, I promise I'll bring it up. Absolutely. Thank you again, and have a good night. You too. Thank you. That's Gustavo Lopez, Territorial MLS in Boston, Nosa Radio also in Boston, covering the revolution and everything else in New England. And he'll be back with us to talk about more Rochester, New York FC news when he does get a hold of it. And now it's time to talk about the New York Rebels opening up the match in Orlando to take on Orlando City. They fall on a penalty kick, one goal to nil. And I'm not going to talk about that moment now I want to talk about the club as a whole brand new formation a 4-2-2-2 or you could say a 4-4-2 but it's more of a 4-2-2-2 and it's been a while since we've had a formation having two strikers for the majority of the match and all you can say is is that I like it And I think it also enhanced the attack, gave them some excellent chances, got them into some great moments. You saw some moments, of course, with Elise Manuel, uh, with Lewis Morgan, one or two opportunities with Luquinas. Um, I know everyone's upset that Tom Barlow is not what he should be and you know, get him off the team, that I know, that I know. But look, I think in this opening match, the New York Rebels looked great. I thought they attacked well. They defended very well. I thought Coronel had some excellent stops uh, in this match. Unfortunately for them, penalty decided the match. And once again, VAR is back into question because of the penalty call against Sean Nealis. And the truth is, there wasn't a good enough angle for me to say if that truly is a penalty. But apparently, it's supposed to be the law that if the ball hits the stomach first and then the arm, then it's considered no, not a penalty. But during the broadcast, that apparently there's been a tweak to that law said by Jamie Watson that the way the ball hit Sean Nealis in the side, in the stomach, And his arm was a little bit away from his body, yes, but it looked like it went both, that that's considered a penalty. And during post-match with Gerhard Struber through the Zoom, he complained that this match was a great match, and the referee deciding that match and VAR deciding that match ruined it. Because the big question mark is, Is that really a penalty? I can only go by what I heard from Jamie Watson and then hearing Gerhard Struber's side of things because, you know, pro, 
Professional Referees Organization informs the managers, the head coaches of all the MLS clubs, this is what's considered when it is or is not a penalty in the area. So, you know, we we you know we have another debate is and what is not not considered a penalty. We have a debate about what is considered yes or no. And for the Red Bulls, all you can say is it cost them a point. You can't say it cost them three points because the way the match was going, to me, it looked like this was going to be a scoreless draw. And to me, Orlando really had nothing. Orlando had nothing in the entire match. Because of the penalty call, that was their only goal, that was their only spot of offense that they were able to receive. Because outside of that, that's a draw. I can't say it's a win unless the Red Bulls converted a goal. And they did not. They had chances, but all I can say is either not on target or Galise made some strong, solid saves. But once again, the questions once again are popping up. Is it a penalty? Is it not a penalty? Time during the match, during the broadcast from Jamie Watson, I went along with him to say, okay, if that's a penalty, then so be it. But then you go with what Gerhard Strubert was saying, then you have to say to yourself, well, was that really a penalty? Truth is, I don't know. And now we have more controversy with VAR and what pro deems to be a penalty or not, or what the laws are to what is a penalty or not. That's the question mark, Red Bulls fans. That's the big question mark. So all I can say is, is that there's still more questions that need to be answered. And hopefully uh, Gerhard Struber will have an answer for us when uh, we talk to him uh, this coming Thursday uh, on the Zoom meeting uh, during training. Uh, so other than that, that's all we have for tonight's show. And it was a fun show and glad to have you all listening to me tonight. Uh, this coming Friday night, the MPSL Soccer Show returns. It is the second show of two on the new expansion teams coming to the North excuse me, to the National Premier Soccer League. So enjoy me for that one. That'll be at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Pacific time start as we get ready to talk to these clubs in the NPSL, joining us for the first time ever in the NPSL. I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank Robert Hay of World Soccer Talk and Gustavo Lopez from Territorio MLS on the Rochester, New York FC situation. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.